right there. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of GovCon Coffee and Issues with myself, Carol Bernard, and Michael Lejeune of RSM Federal. How you doing, Michael? Good. How's everybody? We're doing great. We also have a special guest that's going to be joining us today to share a success story. And this is awesome because I don't see or hear a lot of success stories about the unsolicited proposal process. So we're going to be having Miss Judah Bangs with us. She's from the Tennessee PTAC. And so we'll hear from her in just a second. Well, Michael, today we're going to be talking about unsolicited proposals. Now, we talked about this topic in our pre-GovCon Coffee and Issues pilot program, which we didn't record them all and all nicely done here. So, But this is a topic that a lot of people is interested in because in FAR 15.6, it points out to a process for submitting unsolicited proposals. And I think when people see that, they're like, oh, I don't have to wait for a solicitation. So how does that work? And you've had uh, your own experience in some sorts with this. So you want to share your story? Yeah, sure. So back in the day when I first got started in government contracting, I had no clue what I was doing. I think I was about 23, 24 years old and I got kind of thrown into the leadership position of a sales team and we were trying to figure out what to do. And somebody on my team said, why don't we come up with an unsolicited proposal? I happen to have all of the emails, fax numbers, hard addresses for everybody in the White House and the Pentagon and all these other agencies. And I was young. I had no idea. I didn't know anything. I don't even know if there was a SAM.gov or FBO back then. I mean, the internet wasn't even that big a deal in the early 2000s. And so we were trying to figure out what to do. Things were moving slow. We were about a million dollars in revenue. And so I was like, well, let's put together this presentation. And back then, that's when you put together, you know, 200 slide PowerPoint presentations. (laughs) So so we had like this 200 and something slide PowerPoint presentation that we printed off. We put it in binders and all this kind of stuff. We had some cover letters for it. And this was after 9-11. And here we are like sending all of these packets through the mail to the Pentagon and the White House. Like I was literally sitting one to George Bush. Like I literally did that. We had his fax number, actually multiple fax numbers, like his war room and all that kind of stuff. So I imagine I'm on some FBI watch list because I'm faxing these 200 plus pages to the war room while George Bush is probably in the thing or something, you know. And so we sent it out in all those different ways. I even had his private email address for the president, which was pretty cool. So we sent that, got zero responses. I think it was probably three, four months in. And we had had some wild idea. We're like, hey, instead of selling licenses onesie twosie, why don't we sell an enterprise-wide government license? We didn't even know what that meant, right? And so finally, after crickets for three or four months, I actually got a letter from the president's chief of staff, Andy Card, and said, hey, thank you. We received your stuff. You know, it wasn't like, hey, that really sucked to have to deal with 200 pages on the fax machine. You know, nothing, none of that. It was just really nice letter, personally signed by him. And it said, hey, I'm not the guy to talk to. Please talk to this four-star general. So I then had this letter from the chief of staff that I could bring around anywhere and say, hey, Andy Card, now just drop it that way. You know, the president's chief of staff said, I could call you and talk to you about this proposal that I have. And that led me to another conversation, to another conversation, to another conversation. And ultimately, it wound up with us doing about $12 million a year that year in contracts. Now, they never bit on the actual proposal and said, hey, we're just going to buy an enterprise-wide license. But it put me in front of decision makers 
because of just how bold we were of putting this out there. We had no idea there was a process to follow or anything like that. And yet stumbling through this actually led us to getting some business sort of indirectly through it. So today we know there's a process and every agency has a process and you can do that. But I assume there's probably still some people out there that just package it up and send it off and cross their fingers and hope for the best. So, yeah. So now that you know a few things, how would you do that differently today? Well, I think the number one thing is I'd go on each agency's website and I'd click on their process. Each one has a different process. It's right on their website. I didn't even know this was a thing until a couple of years ago. I would have still done it the old way. But a few years ago, I discovered that right on the agency website, there is a process that they follow. Some of them have times of year where they do and don't take them. Some of them you can solicit at any time. And then there's usually like a process as far as like what they'd like you to submit and things like that. And then the other thing is it really does need to be a need. So in order to, like, before you go and submit that, you really need some intelligence from the agency. You need to have a conversation with them. You need to talk to them about the challenges they have and all of those types of things. Are there budgets for solving some of those problems? And so if you're really talking to the agency, not just the contracting officer, but PMs and other folks in there at that grassroots level, you can uncover a problem and say, hey, what if we solved this problem that you weren't even planning a solicitation for? And that's where you may hear, hey, well, well, tell me more. How would you solve this? And you have to understand, depending on when you talk to somebody, it may be months, if not years, before they can actually allocate budget money. So like right now, we're recording this early in March of 2022, and money's already been allocated for this year. It's already a done deal. It's starting to trickle out. So if somebody wanted to get a new thing on the budget cycle, they would talk to the government for the next six months and maybe get it in next year's budget, likely wind up in the 2024 budget because of the cycle in time. However, like this is something where if you say, hey, I can solve this problem and, you know, we can solve it for $100,000 or a million dollars or whatever it is, that may be a thing where you say, okay, we're going to go ahead and submit an unsolicited proposal There's an agency need, we're out of budget cycle, and it wasn't in their forecast or anything like that. Now's a really good time to submit that kind of thing. You've got a need, you've got some buyers that really want it, and you can build a case for it. And if you don't submit an unsolicited proposal, you're going to wait two years anyway. So that's just kind of how I would approach it. Get some intelligence and really build the case. We went in sort of guessing. We knew a lot of agencies were using our software But we really didn't necessarily have like this big market where there was millions of licenses being demanded. Yeah, that's a great story. And, you know, just to retouch on a couple of things you said, it's got to be unique. And this is also if I would encourage everybody that's interested in this process to definitely go to the FAR, Federal Acquisition Regulations, subpart 15.6. This is where it outlines all of the process. And it gives a lot of good information right there in black and white. And it says that this has to be something that's unique. It's not something that is a commercial off-the-shelf item. It's not something that we are already procuring. And that's where what you said, Michael, with going in and there and getting the intel first and understanding, number one, like, do they even buy this in some capacity? But if you know your product is unique, they probably also buy maybe something else already. So having that conversation and getting the intel 
is just so much more productive. And in fact, I was looking on, I think the treasury website and they say, you know, don't just come in here blind, you know, yeah. have some conversations. Plus they want you inside of your unsolicited proposal to put some of the points of contact that you've been, you know, having conversations with. Right. And the thing I always tell people is this just your job is to influence the demand. So if you influence the demand, if you're reaching out to the end users, and usually that's where I think a lot of people kind of hit a roadblock if they're just only contacting the contracting officers or the small business reps. There's also end users, program managers in there that's, you know, you're saying, here's how we can maybe help you do your job a little bit better, a little bit more efficient, maybe save you some money. Usually when there's truth to that, their ears start to perk up a little bit and they're like, well, tell me more, right? Well, and I think something you mentioned there about it being unique is really important because what if you notice that the government is buying, let's go with PPE, they're buying masks. And today, every procurement that you see, they're spending around a dollar a mask. And you're like, you know what? Because of our process and our manufacturing and blah, blah, whatever, we can cut that to about 45 cents if they just buy all of it from us. Well, guess what? It's not a unique solution. You're just wanting them to go with you. And if you're already seeing solicitations out there, RFPs out there, RFQs out there for that kind of stuff, you're not going to circumvent that with an unsolicited proposal. Now, you might make them think about it, but then they're going to go back and maybe they go to DLA or somebody and say, DLA, why don't you try to go and procure this and get the best price possible not necessarily, hey, why don't you go buy them from Mike because he's got them at 50 cents. Like that's not what they're going to do. They're already buying it. They already have a stream of vendors that they've set up and these the stream of procurements that are going on. They're not going to stop that just because you've got a price and say, hey, we're going to cancel all the competition and now we're going to buy from Carol. They're not going to do that. But they will say, hey, why don't you go respond to the RFPs that we've already put out there because – you would be highly competitive. And so that's where I think some people get frustrated. They think, hey, why can't I just circumvent this process and sole source this unsolicited proposal to me? And it's like, well, it's not unique. There's already stuff ongoing. Those are just a couple of the reasons that I can think of off the top of my head. I, I, think, I think too many people put a lot of eggs in the unsolicited sole source type of environment. And that's just not how the government is awarding the majority of their awards. So, absolutely, and you know we have another guest with us today. I'm going to bring her up right now, Miss Judah Bangs, and she's actually a, a counselor out with the the Tennessee PTAC, and she also had a story. So, Judah, thank you so much for uh, coming on with us today. It's always nice to have a guest, and I put out on my LinkedIn post because personally. You know, in my career, I haven't received an unsolicited proposal. I've coached hundreds of businesses that I haven't had one that's been successful in doing the process. And so I can't speak from a lot of direct experience. So I reached out to my 4,000 people on LinkedIn that I'm connected with said, hey, does anybody have any stories, good or bad, please share. So thank you, uh, Judah, for coming in here and offering to share your story. Yeah, thanks for having me, Carol. And thank you for sharing your thoughts, Michael. Shameless plug, another way to find out what is needed, call your PTAC. End of shameless plug. I like it. <laughs> so I had a recent success story. I have been working with a 
micro business for about 15 years. I was very, very determined to make it in the government contracting field because you, you know, we often hear, I'm just too small. Who's going to care? Who's going to hire somebody, give a contract to somebody who just has a couple of employees? In those 15 years, that individual has gotten HubZone certified, 8A certified, and just won a 10 year contract. Awesome. And the way it worked, it was semi unsolicited proposal. He kept beating the door down of some agencies when there was no solicitation out to build that relationship. Did he get work unsolicited? No, it's too big of a contract too. And there's competition. However, when it came up, the solicitation, they contacted him and said, we want you to bid on it. I think that is the successful to what Michael was saying. It's not going to just set aside because you knock on the door. But if you build those relationships and give them ideas of how you would go about the job, what you bring to the table, they will remember and include you. So this is kind of a different twist, but it's just unsolicited will just not work. And another thing I want to mention, which I hope will see some success, is now that the Air Force under F-Works, they're doing open solicitations for SBIR innovation. Awesome. In the past, SBIR has only been, there's a topic and that's what you respond to. So the Air Force has been kind of like the leader in changing that approach. And they now have um, open topic solicitations. That's awesome. Now, it's still fairly new, so we don't have a lot of success stories. But there have been companies very frustrated. Like, I have a really innovative approach. It just doesn't fit any of the topics they have. Mm Mm-hmm. But now with the open topic, and I do believe other agencies will follow suit. That's so much needed. I'm so glad to hear that and have Mm -hmm. you share that because, you know, back when I was in the military, we had uh, something called the Benny Suggs program. What it was was beneficial suggestions that people could make inside of the military. And if this was ultimately picked up because it was a way to save money, they would actually give a reward to this person that actually brought up that topic. So this is great. I mean, I don't know why we haven't had that in place already, you know, to have somebody be able to see something that's happening in the government and say, hey, there's this issue here that we can solve. We can help. Here's our proposal, yeah. <laughs> you know. Well, the way it has worked with the Air Force for many, many years, I was the beneficiary of multiple SBI awards from the Air Force. The way it worked in the past was somebody liked what you were doing and they became your sponsor. And then that sponsor would get that into the whole SBIR sequence with the topic and all of that kind of stuff. And you go through your level one, two, three, et cetera, and go through that. So there was an opportunity to, to create that. But again, it came back to the fundamental of having a conversation with your customers and making sure that you're solving their problems, or at least you think you can solve their problems. And now you're on the radar and they're starting to push for these topics to come out and you're the one that's responding to them. The same thing, you know, when I look at unsolicited proposals, it's not always about winning. And I'll just reiterate that from Judah was saying and what I would say, it's not always about winning. It's about getting in front of those people and letting them know you're there, letting them know you can solve the problems. And for us, even if they don't consider the proposal at all, you could be ghosting requirements for a future RFP where you're now telling them, hey, you can not only solve this problem, this is how you do it, this is who should do it, here are the requirements that you should list in your RFP. And magically, when the RFP comes out, you're the only person or or one of 
very few companies that can actually respond because you've been talking to the customer. That gets back to the old frustration of almost every government contractor where they see an RFP and they're like, oh, well, it was wired for Lockheed Martin. Well, yeah, it was, but Lockheed Martin's been talking to that customer for five years about what they should be doing and how they should doing it, and that's why it looks like that. Lockheed Martin has invested that much time and energy. Of course they should win. They're the only ones that know the solution. You can be on that side of it, but most people don't like doing the work of it. Most people like being able to hop on, go in sam.gov, find an opportunity, respond, and get an award in two weeks. And that's just not the way it works. You and I have talked about that a lot, Carol. If you're hoping and praying on sam.gov to build your pipeline, you're missing out on 75, 80% of the opportunities you could be responding to. Because Sam is the last resort for a lot of agencies. Now, there are other agencies that use it as their primary, but there are a lot that don't. And so you're just missing out if that's your number one strategy. Absolutely. And so basically everything you just said, Michael. That was your summary? <laughs> yeah. But I think the point comes down to this, and I think I mentioned this before when we talked about the unsolicited proposal process once before. While the FAR has a, def, a defined process and you can go through that process, what we're saying here, all of us, I think, collectively, is that do your homework and I'll give another plug to the PTAC. Work with your PTAC to do the homework. Uh, do that market research. I mean, that's so critical because, first of all, how do you know that their government stopped buying? It requires you to do the research first. And you might find, oh, they are buying that. And this is how they solicit it. And then, then you line yourself up for the solicitation. But what Michael said is, you know, spot on. Going to have conversations because sometimes that conversation could turn into a solicited proposal like a verbal it doesn't even have to go out through sam it'd be like well i like what you're telling me here why don't you send me some pricing because like michael said earlier as well that person if they like what you have to offer has to go and build now that cost into their budget so maybe even before they could even solicit it they got to have the budget for it right and so that may be a long process you could get potentially lucky where maybe your solution is not that expensive. They have some end-of-the-year dollars that they can allocate to it. But I was the guy, when I was in the Navy, I would do that. It's like, basically, if it wasn't in our already budget and we planned our budget a year out in advance and then we would get allocated our budget to buy these certain things, if it was something extra, it went on to what we call this unfunded list. And every agency may have their different type of unfunded list or call it different things. But if you're a good procurement person, typically you're going to understand that, hey, there's probably going to be some money come down at the end of the year. So it could be also an opportunity for fourth quarter spending that if they really like what you're offering, they could go and buy it from you. Now, at that point in time, when once you have influenced the demand for it, it's on them to try to figure out how to make it happen through their procurement process. If you're an 8A company, they may be able to give you a sole source contract for that opportunity. If it requires competition, it requires competition. They may take it through SAM.gov. But again, like Michael said, if you are the only one that provides it, you probably are going to be the only one that's going to respond to it, right? And so there's all of these processes, but essentially the bottom line is just really connecting with people, having the conversations up front. I think that that's really the, the recap of what we're hearing here. Definitely, you can try to go through the process. Even if you go to the Treasury website, I went to one of the websites just to kind of look at what the process was beyond the FAR. 
and Michael mentioned that earlier as well. So you'll see the FAR, but then every agency has their defined process that you now need to go and read. And even the Treasury website says you need to be connecting, asking people the right questions first, you know, be having communication then. But yeah, even though they say that most unsolicited proposals are unsuccessful. And so just Take that with a grain of salt. Just don't follow the black and white is what I'm saying. And I think also Michael and Judah, work yeah. with your PTAG, do the homework. That's going to be your best bet to really set you up for a contract. And, and Judah, thank you for so much for sharing your success story. And that points Absolutely. to another success trait, which is the persistence, you know. Yes. Just keep on. If and and, and know, if I may add something, yeah. and I'm interested in Michael's thoughts too. A lot of it depends too how you approach an agency. We often get the question, well, if I just get that certification or if I just get this status. And a socioeconomic status or certification will not win you the work. What will win you the work is your, your attitude and your capabilities and your past performance. The certifications and the socioeconomic status are like the cherry on top of the whipped cream. And you do Absolutely. not lead in with, hey, I'm 8A, I'm looking for a sole source. What are your thoughts, Michael? No, I 100% agree. You know, for me, I, I think one of the biggest trap for small businesses is they believe that if I just get this status, the heavens are going to open up. I'm not going to have enough time to count the money. You know, there's just going to be so much coming in. And it's just not true because I always remind people, like, how many other 8As are there on the market? Hundreds, yeah. thousands that do exactly what you do. So if you're looking at an 8A solicitation, what's the one common factor of everybody responding? They're all 8A. <laughs> so it's not a differentiator. It's merely a ticket to the show. And so like people just have to understand it's valuable. It's important. But those things that you were talking about, your attitude, your capabilities, the value you provide, those are the things that are really going to set you apart from everybody else that are out there. And then finally, that persistence one, you know, going since 2007 till now, you know, pestering an agency, going and talking to them, that's a lot of time. And most people give up literally after one or two phone calls. I've had so many coaching sessions with clients where they say, you know what, Mike, I've done everything that you say to do and I'm not winning. And so I used to scratch my head and be like, okay, well, I got to come up with something new. And now I say, so how many people have you called? Well, I've called three agencies. Well, how many contracting officers have you actually spoken to? One, nobody else will return my email. How many small businesses office have you talked to? I We're supposed to talk to those? And you start looking at the numbers and you're like, you literally haven't put the effort in. You've left one voicemail, one email, and you expect somebody who's understaffed, overworked, to respond to you like you're the most important thing in the world. And it's not like they don't want to respond to you. They've got a lot on their plate. So it's you're not pestering them if you follow up and you follow up and you say, hey, you know, if you got time on Tuesday, I happen to be, you know, down the street. I'd love to stop by and visit with you. You know, it's okay to do that. In fact, it's encouraged. And so I think persistence is one of the biggest things that people don't factor in to the whole process. That's funny when you talk about I'll be down the street. <laughs> when yeah. I was a contracting officer, we literally had a contractor. He would just show up, come to the front desk, be like, uh, Carol, there's a contractor that will talk to you. I'm like, okay. Then I'd go out and talk to him. Hey, I'll tell you what. That was my favorite way to get a call back from a contracting officer. There's nothing faster to get a call back 
than to say, hey, Carol, I'm going to be in your neck of the woods next Tuesday around 2 o'clock, and I thought I'd drop in and say hi. Let me know if that doesn't work for you. Like, no, don't come on Tuesday. <laughs> we got two, They'll call you up and say, that doesn't work for us. I'm like, oh, well, why have you on the phone? I'd love to chit-chat with you about whatever. But I would literally say that. And then somebody would say, yeah, well, Tuesday doesn't work, but Wednesday doesn't work. And I'd look over at our assistant and be like, book me a flight. Like, book me a flight because I'm going. And, like, I didn't have a flight book, but I'm like, I'm going to be there because I just went in saying I'm going to get this appointment. And as soon as I did, I would get it. Or if they say, well, that doesn't work for me another day, we'd switch the flight plan. You know, I'm like, if they will put aside time for me, I'm booking a flight. I'm going. Absolutely. And I, you know, when I think about all of this, I think about at the end of the day that, you know, the people in government are also people just like you and I. So how often do we respond to an unsolicited proposal in our email box? Right. Because you're not, I mean, you've got a million other things going on right now and you got to stop. So that's the key here. Tenacity, persistence, you know, have the conversations with the people that you need to have and ask questions. And in fact, there was a small business liaison, I think just the other day on LinkedIn posted, like, don't try to like sell me everything. The first conversation that we've got, Mm -hmm. ask me questions, you know, find out Mm -hmm. what we're doing, find out what we're about, you know, and I think when you talk about building relationships with people, especially people in the government, you know, because unlike the commercial place where people might go take somebody out to golf or hunting trip, it doesn't work like that in the government. But no. how do you build a relationship is just to reach in and really try to know that you've done your homework. In fact, again, a little plug for the PTAC, the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers uh, district office where I worked, she wouldn't even talk to anybody until they came and saw me back when I was a PTAC counselor. Go talk. So they want to know that you've done your homework, you come in informed, and you come in with some really good questions that then helps you fill in some gaps that you need to understand to then be able to enter business with them or to know where to look when, if they are soliciting, those solicitations will be coming out and be prepared for them. Invest time and effort and maybe money in getting a good capability statement to stand out. Don't slap something together in word. That will make you stand out tremendously. Yep. No, that's good stuff. You know, for me, it's like the smarter you get about the client, the better your questions get. And they can tell you're knowledgeable about them and what's going on. And those are always really great, engaging conversations. But for me, anytime I'm selling anything, My goal is always to ask questions. I'll just keep asking questions until we get to a point where somebody's ready to buy something. And if you just go in there and gather intelligence, you're going to build relationships while you're doing it because you're trying to solve problems and that sort of thing. And if you're asking the right questions, you may find out that the person you're talking to is not the person you should be talking to. There's somebody else. But if you're not asking the right questions of them, you're going to keep circling back and get frustrated. Why isn't this moving anywhere? It's like, Because Bob doesn't buy what you sell. It's actually Susan in a different office. But Bob really enjoys talking to you. And you haven't asked the right question yet. You know? So you you can really be spinning your wheels a lot of times. Absolutely. And last thing I'll leave you with, too, is that the contracting officers are not always the people that you need to be having the initial conversations with. Sometimes go to LinkedIn and look up the different program managers, directors, department heads that are out there. Usually these are the folks within who's actually going to influence that acquisition 
because the contracting officers doesn't buy anything that does not ask for by somebody in their agency, unless it's for themselves, right? right? So think about that, you know, when you're reaching into your unique customer and having the conversation with them, look beyond sometimes that contracting officer as well. So Not great advice. Well, I think that's all I've got. Do you guys, uh, Michael or Judah, do you guys have any last thoughts or anything to recap before we head out today? I think you hit it all. One thing I would recap is it's a long game. Be persistent. It doesn't happen overnight. Nobody's going to knock on your door. The second thing I would recommend, don't overlook local and state opportunities. That's where you will find more of those unsolicited opportunities. Like Michael was saying, they might have some end of year spend. Mm-hmm. They have some P cards that they can use to buy something. So oftentimes those smaller opportunities are not posted anywhere. They're mm-hmm. certainly not in SAM because they're local, but don't overlook. I often hear from local procurement managers that they often don't even have enough people bidding on their opportunities. So they're scrambling to have an open and fair competition because they just don't get people to respond because people think I'm not going to win. And it's a lot of work. Look at all those forms. How yeah. many pages is that? I don't know. Yeah. Good point. Thank Good you point, for being man. with us, Dita. This was a very nice treat to see you show thank up you. today. Appreciate so it. thank you so much. Michael, thanks for being with us again, as always. Thank you. And uh, we'll go ahead and close. One thing that I do want to mention, though, is that if you haven't already joined our community on Govology Nation, if you want to go there, that's our private LinkedIn community. That's for our students and the, those of you who listen to our podcast or video cast here. So if you want to go there, uh, just go to www.govology.com forward slash nation. That's going to hyperlink you over into our group. We have over 1,100 people in there now. And the purpose of that is, is to continue the conversation. So if you guys have something that you want to ask, just go there and ask. And we've got a lot of good, smart people like Judah like Michael, like a lot of other subject matter experts and other small businesses like yourself. So there's a big resource there. Work with your local P-Tech. And Michael, you guys also have a, a resource page set up for folks that listen mm-hmm. to the show. Yep. What is that link again? Yep. If they just go to federal-access.com forward slash govology, they can get signed up with a free account right on there and start getting a lot of different stuff from us. There's some sample capability statements, so some professional statements there that they can use. And there's also a handful of other documents and other video training on there too. Awesome. Will they get your patented process of how to submit a 200-page proposal through a fax machine? There you go. That's the one they need. What's more important is being able to find the current fax number to the White House because I'm going to use it after we sent that. I bet they did. Well, hey, guys, thank you so much for being with us. And that's it for today. We'll see everyone on the next show. Take care. Thank you. All right. Bye-bye.